back in the uh, 1860s, there was a huge crowd at Niagara Falls. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls, you say, what a sight that is. There, uh, of course, across Niagara Falls, it's like a thousand feet across, where this one tightrope walker named Blondin walked across. He not only walked across it, but he took a wheelbarrow along with him across that Niagara Falls. And there was a little boy, of course, everybody was amazed. The little boy was just in awe. And as a tightrope walker, Blondin came off that rope, he saw this little boy. And the boy just just staring at him, you know, and he's he can't believe what he just saw. But he does believe it. He, he did see it. And Blondin asked the little boy, he says, uh, do you believe I could take this same wheelbarrow and put a person in the wheelbarrow without falling? And of course, what's the little boy say? Yes, I do. And you know what Blondin said? Well then, get in. Would you get in? <laughs> Would you get in that wheelbarrow? Uh, that's quite a trust in a, in a man and a wheelbarrow across the, this tightrope. thousand feet across and 160 feet down to those raging waters. That would be trust, wouldn't it? Well, we'll be talking a little bit about trust or not trusting. We have a very familiar story today that everyone here probably has heard of and maybe many, many, many times this is not something that has been concealed. (laughs) And you'll notice as we go through the Gospels, most of these stories are very familiar with all of us. And so the trick is is to be able to bring those things to life that we have heard so often and not go to sleep, but to realize that Christ again is here speaking to us to make something come alive even more than ever before. Now what we're doing is as we march through the book of Mark, we're going to back to action. Because we spent a couple of weeks on the parables. Remember? So we're in the seed and then uh, more dealing with the, the, the lamp, and then seed, and then the mustard seed. And, of course, Jesus has been speaking. And Mark doesn't uh, concentrate on that very often. It's usually what Jesus is doing in His miracles and all of His actions. Very important parables that, that we have been at. And there's a reason, as Mark jumps into this next section, with that behind us now, realizing that that has to make an impact on those disciples and followers. Uh, we have intense counter, uh, encounters already really during that day between religious leaders, the ordinary people out in the crowd, and then even his own family. Remember, that's where we've been. That's, that's our context. And so keeping that in mind where he's going to next, all of that helps as, as we go into this story. Now, as we move into the last part of chapter 4 and then we go into 5, we're not going into 5 today, we're just doing one little section from 35 through 41. But as we do that, we want to know why is Mark putting these together? He comes out of speaking parables now to doing miracles. And he's done that before. He's demonstrating the very power of Jesus and His great deity, right? Okay. He has power over natural elements. Today, we're going to be talking about that. That's the seed. 
the wind, the natural elements. Not only does he have power over that, but he has it over the spiritual realm because where he's going to, Jesus is taking the people across to the other side and he's going to take them to see another amazing miracle as we uh, know that there will be a spiritual realm that he is invading. A very demonic area, a demonically possessed man, highly demonic. And then we'll also see how he has power over the human body whether it be sicknesses, diseases and such, and even, what's even worse than that? Death! And we'll see that. There are the four amazing miracles he does as he goes over there to, um, uh, to the other side um, from where he has been at, mainly in Capernaum. Now, when we see how desperate man is in his situation and today we'll see this is a pretty scary situation it's about the the sea and uh, the storm a terrible storm a storm that really could kill and God takes opportunities when man is at his worst position that's where God just shines it did then it still does today I want you to keep that in mind Because God uses these opportunities to show who He is. In the midst of our problems, you know what He's doing? He's putting Himself on display. Now, Christians should always see that. No matter what they're going through, well, God is going to display His magnificence no matter what this situation is in my life. He's going to put Himself on display. His glory is going to be seen in some way, matter, or form. Now, we have a storm that no seaman, fisherman, anybody could ever overcome in this story. We have a story next week with a demoniac that no man could tame. But Jesus did. Then we have a disease that no physician could have ever taken care of. No cure from a, a, a physician, except the physician of all. And then we have a tragedy where no parent could bring their child back to life but yet our servant the Lord Jesus Mark presents Jesus as the servant have you seen the servant in the book of Mark in the book of Matthew you see him as the king and what's the opposite of a king a servant Jesus is a servant in the book of Mark and in the book of Luke He is presented as the Son of Man so often. So we see Him as a man and His compassion, uh, humility and such. And in the book of John, we see Him as God. Are you amazed at the four Gospels, how they all present it and they come together and they present the very person and work of Christ in His fullness? Boy, what a gift we have as we open up these Bibles right here today and we can read the very Word of God that's going on. It's about the Son of God and He proves His sufficiency in everything. We sing that song, everything. He is my everything. Every circumstance He's there and He takes that opportunity in man's extremity (laughs) and He gets glorified. So, Mark is presenting a very strong case for the emphasis, I believe here, is the deity of Jesus Christ. Him being God. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. The unique divine nature. 
in this miracle that he does today, as far as the fishermen were to be concerned, this has to be one of the greatest miracles that he's done yet. Because this had to strike in their minds. Imagine a lot of these miracles all struck in their minds for the next 10, 20, 30 years. They had to be remembering, recalling all of these things. And can you imagine being a fisherman out there in the sea, which you're pretty familiar with, and you are there at nighttime with such a fierce storm that you have never been in at all. Not this kind. So, this is the kind of thing these disciples really experienced. This is true. This is not some just little Sunday school little story here. I mean, this is an awesome story. Now, Mark is writing the book of Mark, but where does he get his information? Well, mainly from Peter some of the other apostles, but Peter had to be his main man from who he gets this information. Intimate facts. Peter had to remember this. Only eyewitnesses could have told him this unless the Holy Spirit bore down upon him just to to do this. But the stilling of the sea, um, the fishermen, you know, they, they were used to the lake. This is a test of all tests. They'd probably been through storms. Pretty rough ones probably, but they manned through those okay. But this one was the one of all. And we see here that the apostles fail rather demonstrably. I think that we could all relate to that when we've realized we've failed in our trusting Christ. And, you know, to be honest with you, sometimes Christians say they believe in Jesus Christ, and we all here can say we believe in Jesus Christ, but sometimes when we go through some kind of a hard test beneath this Christian veneer, sometimes there often lives a practical atheist. (laughs) Oh, we say we believe, but do we really when the hard trial comes? So this is a great lesson on trusting God. No doubt about that, right? This is about trusting God. We know we have storms that arrive in our lives. This is so easy to compare this to storms. Do we trust in Him? Do we do that? Application here galore for us, right? We can put this right into our own lives. But I want to tell you something. And and I was listening to Alistair Begg. Some of our people here listen to Alistair and read his stuff. and We plug him quite often. We like him. And he's uh, really kind of cool to listen to. He'll... Uh, comes from that accent that he has, Scottish accent. And rather light it seems, and all of a sudden it's it's like boom, you just got hit. You're smiling and laughing at the way that he might bring something forth, and all of a sudden you get convicted right in the head. Boom comes this fist and it had a, a glove on it that looks like it was really soft, but you got hit. Well he was saying, and I think he's right, there's something more important This is not just a story about storms that we go through and how we're to trust in God. So isn't that the gist of this? Some of it. But everything that we look at, what kind of view do we want to have? A high view of God, right? That's right. So when you look at this, it's not just about us. It's not just about the disciples. It's really about Christ. Disciples. Right then. It's 
especially that last verse. They're in such total awe. They are fearing. Not the storm. The storm is over. They were fearing that greatly. They've never feared anything so much in their life as that storm. And now it's even more important because it gets as calm as can be. They're more afraid of Christ than of the storm. What manner of man is this? You'll see in verse 41, they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Grab a hold of that. Have you ever seen anybody control the wind? You ever seen a tornado coming and somebody comes and says, Stop! Boom! That's it. Sun comes out in an instant. Who can do this? And their jaws just drop. And we have done a message on this before and I think we called it the holiness of Christ. I thought about doing that same message again and see if anybody ever caught it. This sounds familiar. But, no, we're going to look at it at a different angle. But yet, that is really the, the big emphasis here. Let's, uh, let's take a really good look at this great lesson that Jesus has for us as we open our Bibles to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening came, He said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up, rebuked the wind, said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. And He said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Let's pray. Father, in this Word today, may we get the emphasis that You want us to have. And get a great lesson or there are many lessons here as your Holy Spirit works on our own lives. Amen. Verse 35. On that day. On that day. On that day. Well, it means a very specific day. Well, what specific day? Well, I think, and I could be wrong, whenever I say I think, Probably what you're getting is an opinion from Dennis. You don't want opinions. So you can check it out yourself. But it very is quite possible, but I could be wrong, and that's okay. I don't even want to be wrong. I'm just going to say it could be possible, or it could be somewhere else. But starting in chapter 3, verse 20, is where this day could have started. And it's where um, he comes home, the crowd's there, they can't even eat a meal. You remember that? And uh, there's his family, and people are trying to take custody of him, take him back home. He's lost his senses. He's gone mad. Remember that? Even though that's taken us weeks now, right? But this is all like that show, 24. 
It's all, it's, this is within 24 hours. And what did the religious leaders accuse him of as he cast out demons? They said he cast them out by the power of Beelzebub. He's Satan. He's, he's, he's the son of Satan. Yeah. And, and that's where that could have been. And then he goes into the parables. And maybe that's where the day started when he spoke about the parables. It says that he began to teach again by the sea in chapter 4, verse 1. Um, many commentators say that probably from 320 all the way to where we're at is one day. And it's going into the night now. So whether it be 320 or chapter 4, verse 1, it doesn't really matter, does it? And that's what I say. So my opinion doesn't matter. But it's, a, it's an interesting thing to be thinking about. A lot of things are going on during this day, like they did every day. Jesus would preach and teach and preach and teach and heal and preach and teach and heal constantly. And then be confronted by the religious leaders and opposition. Do you think he was exhausted at the end of the day? Have you ever been exhausted? Yeah, but this is Jesus. Jesus can't be exhausted because He's God. Yeah, but Jesus is God and man. And He's just like us being man, but yet He's still God. Now, that's a hard thing to imagine. But this is an exhausting day. Teaching can be exhausting. The demands that are made on Him are exhausting Him. And so it's at the end of the day. It's starting to get dark. On that day when evening came... He said to them, I want you to pay attention to what He says. Because this is really key. Let us go over to the other side. Let's go over to the other side. Now, who said this? Jesus. When Jesus says something, it's not like, oh, well, something could happen in between. No, Lord willing... When Jesus says something, when God says something, He means it. You know, he, he doesn't joke around. He means that. And so He says, let us go over to the other side. When you start taking God seriously, you start to know God more and more, you realize that, wow, He means every word here, doesn't He? Yeah, this is what He means. You, know, you have to take context. But I think He meant what He said. We're going to go over to the other side. Let's go. We need to go over there. Yet, I think being God here, He knows what's going to happen. He's going to take them right into the midst of a storm. Now, even if He didn't know that that was going to happen, He can take care of it. He does take care of it. But, He not only allows, I think this has been something that is ordained to do just like other places in the Bible where things came up that just aren't accidents. As far as God is concerned, do you think there is ever an accident? Whoops! Oh man, I didn't know that was coming. I could have had a V8. God is never surprised. Has it ever dawned on you that God is never surprised at anything? We are surprised, but He's never surprised. That's one of the things that can't happen to God. He can't be surprised. So He permits, even ordains, or, as I've seen some commentators, and this could 
possibly be too. Satan could be in on this because on the other side uh, is the demoniac and you have a lot of demon-possessed people there, the whole countryside in that area, the Gadarenes, that area is not the place to go. There are certain parts of a city where you don't want to go in big cities, you know, like St. Louis and Chicago and New York. Certain places are really hard. You know, don't go there at night time. Don't go there during the day, you know. Just stay away. Well, Jesus is going to a place where really the Jews probably didn't go. That's a a strange place to go. But you remember in the book of Job, Satan asked permission of God to put the whammy on Job. He's the most righteous man on earth. And Satan thinks he can really do a number on him. And God said, yeah, do anything you want, but don't, don't take his life. Well, he did that, didn't he? He just did about it. He took everything from him, except his wife. And we know that this was a horrible situation. And God permitted that, but I think in his full plan, it was part of the plan. See, Satan is just a pawn. And how can God use Satan? Well, he does all the time. He lets him give us test because he is a created being. God can keep him from doing anything at any time and all the, the demons. Can't he? I mean, he's, he's nothing to God. I mean, he can, but he uses him as a pawn. And so it's possible that that's what's happening here. Since that's his area, he's going to get them in a storm and maybe he can destroy everybody in the boat, even Jesus. Maybe that could be. I don't know. Uh, Anyway, God is allowing this and I think even better than that, He's controlling this whole thing. This is part of His purpose. I can't explain it, but it's a fact. You know, these, these things happen here. Storms, as far as we're concerned, now we take this in a spiritual sense, Storms, or we have some storms coming up. Who knows what they're bringing? It sounds like they could be rather emphatic. Uh, who knows, you know? Uh, but God allows storms in our own lives that could be instigated by the devil. But it's good to know that God's in control of all of that and He allows it because He's testing it. Now, they're at the Sea of Galilee, right? Remember the story of the Sea of Galilee? It's that late. And you remember, he's in a boat because that's where he teaches from most of the time. Why is he in a boat? Because he teaches there. Well, the reason he's teaching from the boat is because if he's standing on the shore, uh, he would be trampled on. He would be drowned. Who knows what the crowds would do because they're pressing in. And what a wise thing to do to get in a boat and there are all the people. And it's great. And there's your voice reflecting off the waters. You have the hills in the background. What an amphitheater that's happening there. Close to Capernaum. Close to Peter's house probably. This is probably where they're at. And uh, here we get this uh, situation here. The crowds. uh, No large cities. He's on the eastern shore of the... Or he's on the western shore. But he wants to go to the other side, which is on the eastern side. No big cities there. And we know that crowds are going everywhere that he's going. Uh, But he's just going over there possibly to get away from it all. To kind of relax. 
rest and relaxation. He needs rest, doesn't he? Let's go over to the other side. So he could get a little bit of a break and a little bit of a rest, have a nice boat ride at nighttime with the moon shining, and what an enjoyable boat ride at nighttime. How romantic. I know what the disciples are. But that would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? A boat ride at night, and then it's real calm, and everything just going in. The disciples are thinking, yeah, yeah, let's, let's go. And if we look in chapter 5, verse 1, it shows where the other side is. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. And we're going to leave that for next week. But that's the other side. Jesus knows where he's taking them. And they know that too. Well, at least he's with us. Uh, He comes to an encounter here. This thing's ordained by his father. And the garrison maniac full of demons doesn't know he's coming. This is the guy with you know the, the, where you have the herd of pigs, and then the the demons are cast in, and they dive off the hill and end up in the sea itself, right? Or cast out of those pigs. So uh, this is maybe a, a getaway and get a break. But you know what? I don't think so much. Even though he needs rest, he does get rest. We know he's sleeping. Well, this is one of the most dramatic encounters that he'll have, this demonized maniac. I think this is a divine appointment. And if Satan is in on this, it definitely makes sense. And, of course, God is using this to show the power here to uh, the disciples. Uh, I think rest is somewhat incidental to what's happening here. Of course, if he gets out of his boat, with all the crowds, how's he going to get out of there safely? He, you know, the only back door is go further <laughs> in your boat, you know, out in the water. Most people don't have the boats. There are some that have boats. So, hey, this is a, a this is a, a, a calm ride here to the other side. Maybe uh, we'll take a few hours break. Jesus knows what's going on, though. So we have the ideal of the idea of the boat in chapter 4 verse 1 he began to teach again by the sea and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea sat down the whole crowd was by the sea on the land so there is the picture and it's probably it's not a really small boat but it's not a really big boat it's probably it's a general term for that but it's probably big enough to hold 15-16 people so that could be him and the twelve uh, we'll see in a moment there are other boats, other followers that are going to be with them. But on this main boat, there there we have. And it says that, he says, let's go over to the other side. And this would be kind of a sail type boat, not the rowing kind of boat. Leaving the crowd, that's pretty cool, isn't it? That's the best way to get out of there. That's a good thing. He has his other thing to do now. They took him along with them whoever's manning the boat here, just as he was. Just as he was. Now, would you ask that question if you were reading this? What does it mean just as he was? Probably so. Immediately, without any kind of preparation, no food, not going to pack the clothes or anything. Remember, they're probably really close to Peter's house on the shore there, just off the shore been teaching the parables all day 
a little tired you think ah, I need to go back to the house pick up some food pick up some clothes no we're going to go just as we are have you ever done anything like that you ever been out on a trip and just driving along and say ooh let's go uh, let's go there and it's, it's like about an eight hour drive <laughs> but, you know, well, we've got to go back and pack our bags <laughs> not in this case um, the boat could belong to Peter I'm just making assumptions don't want to read into it but just thinking about it Peter, James, John, Andrew you know we know there are at least four fishermen Peter his business father's business um, of course he left that business but he would have access to a boat and it's close to where he's at uh, could have been James's boat, whatever. But so they take him just as he is, and they headed off into the water. Matter of fact, out towards the middle of the lake. Now I want you to think of this in early Christian art, very early Christian art. You will see pictures or etchings or what have you of the church being depicted as a boat upon a very perilous sea with a storm and Jesus is standing in the midst. That's a touching picture. And you've probably seen some of those pictures today. We used to carry pictures like that at our school. And uh, yeah, I think some of you might have one that I know. <laughs> and that does that tell it all? I mean, that is so significant. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words. Wow, that's even more than a thousand words. I mean, that is just, that tells it. So many times we are out in the middle of the sea and the storm is there, but Jesus is there. Right in the midst of us, right? Yeah. Okay. Other boats. It says other boats. Right at the end of verse 36. So they took him along with him in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. There, you remember, there were other disciples, and usually when you think of the disciples, who you think of? The twelve. But the, that means followers. There were a lot of followers, people that were very close, and um, I guess some of them got wind that, uh, hey, he teaches by the boats, in the boats. So they go and get their boats, and they have them ready, you know, so wherever they're at. And uh, they want to follow wherever he goes. So there they are. They don't know what they're going to get into, do they? Um, so they're followers. Kind of a little flotilla that they have going here. In the north end of the Sea of Galilee, going to the other side. Other boats were living there. Talking about those other disciples, kind of interesting. In John six sixty six, there were a lot of followers that left him. Do you remember that? In verse 65, he says this, and he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Wow. If you just heard that, and you didn't believe in God who calls, elects, and predestines, it would make you very angry, or you would say, I'm going to submit to what he just said. You know what the people did? 
because they didn't like him choosing people. It's only the Father who is going to give them to the Son. They're granted. That's a powerful verse, folks. And here's the, here's the result. As a result of this, many of his disciples, not the twelve, the other followers, withdrew and were not walking with him any more. Folks, that's a doctrine of election. Right there in John 6. He's already stated verses, and you remember in verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 37, All that the Father gives me, every one, last one, each individual who gives me, will come to me. They will do that. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. That's from Jesus Himself. I think those are some of the most powerful verses dealing with God calling His own. And people didn't like that then and they don't like it now. And whenever they heard that, they withdrew and they left and they never followed Him again. Okay, enough said on that. Moving on. You find that interesting? Wow. That's probably some of these guys that were in these boats. And wherever they got in this storm, probably some of those guys left and never <laughs> followed him anymore. But this is what we're getting into. Hey, I like the, I like all that other stuff you're doing. I like the miracles and the healings, and I even like your teaching. But hey, this trial stuff I don't like. I'm out of here. He's already talked about that. Do you remember the the soils, the different soils? Some people gladly receive that truth, and but when the sun comes out. As they came up quickly, what does he do? Well, they're, they're scorched. And they, that's it. They leave just like this. Okay, now, that was before the storm. How about during the storm? Verse 37. And there arose a fierce gale of wind. Okay, now we have to speak a little bit about the topography here of uh, the lake, the mountains. So we'll give you a little background. It's always good to have background because then the story really comes to life. If you put yourself into that situation 2,000 years ago, you realize that it's really true. So what's happening here? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a lake about 8 miles across and about, uh, about 13 miles long. And it's known for its storms. It's known for the squalls, and they can be very violent there. And it's 650 feet. You ready for this? Above sea level? No. Below sea level. A lake 600, over 600 feet below sea level. That's amazing. You have the Mediterranean. That's sea level. And not too far from there is this lake that is 650 feet below. And if you look up miles away, and of course there are mountains around there, some three, 4,000 feet high, and then you have Mount Hermon, I think is something like 9,000 feet high. All of this within a very small area. Now that probably kind of starts clicking. On the west you have... Uh, little mountains bigger mountains the north and the east rising above sea level and 
that causes a phenomenon that is not seen anywhere else has quite the varying climate that that lake there and uh, when you have the mountains around like that storms can happen very suddenly they come up out of nowhere now we we can have that um, here in Missouri but uh, I, not not like there <laughs> you know it's kind of funny the uh, sun was shining and then all of a sudden it got dark here for a few minutes it's like oh where'd that come from it just came out of nowhere you know um we didn't have any storm like that, but they can come pretty quickly. Kansas, they really do. So it sits in a bowl. This lake is in a bowl. Way underneath. By the way, there's another uh, lake that is way down south in Israel, and it's below sea level. It's called the Dead Sea. Well, this is full of ice, the Sea of Galilee. But this Dead Sea has so much salt in it, you you can't sink. You just, even if you don't know how to swim, you'll float. You'll just be up on the top, and that's just as, that's pretty cool. You're floating there. People go there just to float and take in the hot springs and everything. But the Jordan River, the same river that feeds the uh, Sea of Galilee, or that lake, is the same one that feeds the Dead Sea. The river of life. One of these days, that Dead Sea will come to life. Mark that. It says that in Zechariah. That will happen. Mount Hermon. Big mountain. Jordan River coming from that Mount Hermon, nine to 10,000 feet up. Flows right in. Fills this lake up in this little bowl. Fresh water. Yes, snow melting, all that water coming down as fresh as can be. And did you know that even today, about 50% of the nation of Israel gets their water from this one lake? So, uh, quite a resource for water, isn't it? And the fishing there was just tremendous. Now, scientists have done research on the lake throughout the last few years. And they have quite a study. It's it's unique there. It's it's different than any other bodies of water in all the world. Now, we have Michigan people here, former Michigan people and such. And boy, do they have lakes. They have the Great Lake there. Lake Michigan? Yeah. And it's really a lake. And then lakes just anywhere. I mean, you just go anywhere you want and go to the lake. Here, you know, we talk about the lake. <laughs> lake of the Ozarks. But this lake is so subject to very, very severe winds. And people would know about that. And summertime and wintertime is when it's at the worst. In the summertime, they get these Sirocco-type winds. And uh, you can imagine what that does. And coming down off the, the Golan Heights and, and north of that, and here you have these winds coming down into this cold and into this bowl. And that's pretty routine. It can happen from day to day, every day sometimes. And uh, we know in Matthew 8.24, he calls this the great storm that they had. Now this is probably worse than anything that they've had or at its peak, at its height there. 
And the word there for storm is seismos. You've heard of seismograph? What's that dealing with? That's earthquake. Yeah, a great storm. That is a catastrophic storm, folks. And, and we're talking the wind's probably going 80 to 100, 150 miles an hour. Who knows what is going on here? But that's the idea. It's a huge wind, a fierce gale of wind, classified as a hurricane today it would be. I think this is very descriptive, strong language. Are you getting this? Now, I haven't gotten to too many spiritual things here yet. Why are we going on the science and the topography here? Well, are you catching it here? This is not an ordinary storm. It's worse than what they ordinarily get. It's so severe that these hardened fishermen, I think they're very hardened. They, I mean, they... That's what they do. This is their business, and they know what to watch for. You know, they're experienced in sailing. They know what they're doing. This is this is unusual. They become terrified. If these guys become terrified, being professional fishermen who deal with this kind of thing, I think we there at least something to be said about what's happening here. I think God says, "Okay, it's time to bring it on," and the waves are going over the boat. And in Luke eight twenty three. If you wanted to look there, you could. Swamped. They're swamped. Water is getting into the boat. Mark is mentioning that. It's breaking over the boat and the boat's filling up. Luke says it's swamping them. I think it's time to get a little scared. Uh, This is it, boys. This is it. We've caught our last fish. It's kind of unusual as we run into this next part here. Verse 38, Jesus Himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Grabbed a pillow, laid down. Hey, He's human. And you know those people that sleep through storms. As a matter of fact, there are mothers who can sleep through storms and anything, but whenever the slightest little whimper, the slightest that comes from a baby in the room that's down the hallway, they catch that. I think they catch it before it even happens. You know what? Well, Jesus is exhausted. Remember, we've already spoken about that. To the hilt, He's exhausted. And humanity is taking over here. He's literally sleeping. And, you know, you'd think, well, He'd wake up in this. whole day He's been serving. He's weary. You know, I think this says something to us. He was human like us in His flesh in every way. He felt tiredness, exhaustion. He's at the end of His physical energy. (laughs) It's all gone. There's nothing left. So He sleeps. So He took the opportunity. Hey, we have an eight-mile trip across this lake. I'm just going to take a little cat nap. There are people who will fly from one coast to the other coast and they soon as they say as soon as they get on that flight they go right to sleep and they don't wake up till they land at the airport in LA I don't know how they do that but that's that's what they do you know they just they just sleep you know those people but he needed a rest and I think in Psalm 121 verse 4 this is interesting sounds like the opposite he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. <laughs> God doesn't sleep, does He? So wait a minute. Jesus is sleeping. What's going on here? He's sleeping. 
Yeah, he's there. He had a divine nature. And he has the likeness of our sinful flesh, although he never sinned. The likeness of our sinful flesh. That he might, and he lived this life as a human being so that he might live for every one of us. Because he has to have a righteous life in a human body. You know what? He is a merciful and faithful high priest. He feels those things. Isn't that what uh, Hebrews 2.18 says? For in that he himself has suffered being tested or tempted. He is able to secure them that are tested or tempted. He went through that. Well, you have panic here. We've seen Jesus sleeping. Now you have it complaining. They woke him up. And I'm sure there was probably one of those guys. No, this is just, just lighthearted. You, you see what they did? But wake up! You know, what? get up! Don't you know? Don't you care about us? Have we ever been in prayer and asked Jesus, what, God, what are you doing? Don't you care about me? I think you forgot about me. You don't care. What kind of God are you? It's kind of what they're saying. I want to tell you something. They didn't come in there like one of the disciples, like Peter, you know, and kind of tap him on the head. Hey, Jesus. Jesus. Hey, uh, you know, I really trust in you, and, and I know that this is not a big deal. There's a storm going on out there, and the guys, the rest of the guys, you know what, you know what they're doing? They're out there complaining you know, where, why isn't Jesus stopping this or doing something about this storm right now? Why isn't He doing it? But, really, I know who you are and what you can do. And you know what? For the sake of the guys, could you kind of go out there and kind of calm them down? I, I, I tried, but nothing's happening. I don't think they're saying that. They're scared to death. So they arouse him. They didn't know that he was controlling this. They didn't understand that. They didn't know that he controls all circumstances, even these kind of storms. Carest not that we perish? <laughs> what was their problem? What is their problem? Well, like us. They judge the Lord by their feeble senses, by what what they can see and experience and hear and feel and taste and touch and all the senses that come in. And this is what we're experiencing. This is what we are feeling. There's our word, feeling. That's all I'm going to sing of that song. Then I hated that song. First time I heard it, and then I heard it for years and years, and I haven't heard it in years, and I hope never to hear it again. But... Feeling sometimes right over what fact is. We forget our God, we forget about everything else, and we forget about just entirely everything except ourselves and the situation we're in. Sometimes we think God is unconscious. 
God is sleeping, or God is doing this to me because I did this action, and here's what He's 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 torturing me. He's punishing me because I did stupid things. Back about 20 years ago, I didn't. He's getting me now. You know what? If you felt that way, so did the psalmists. So did the prophets. So did the disciples. So do we. You're not alone. But why is this story here? There are times when you may think that God has gone to sleep. God is unconscious. He's not even aware of what's going on. And if He is, He does not care. He obviously does not care. Turn to Psalm 10.1 if you like. Let's go on to Psalm 10.1. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? (laughs) That's what's going on right here. (laughs) Have you ever said that? Don't say anything. Would you say a little bit of lack of faith going on here? A little bit of panic going on? Well, I wonder if they thought of some of these. Let's go to the Psalms, 65.5. Since you're in the Psalms, right? Psalm 65.5. By awesome deeds you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. You who are the trust of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea. You like that? Wonder if they'd ever read that psalm. Probably heard it. Probably knew that. Let's keep reading. Who establishes the mountain by his strength and being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. They who dwell in the ends of the earth stand in awe of your signs. You make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. Wow, is that praise to God? You read through the Psalms and it's all over the place. We're just reading just a little bit. Go to Psalm 89, verse 9. Not too far from there. They should have known some of these. You rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Why are we reading these verses? Because they've always been there. They were a thousand, a thousand years before the disciples. This is old, ancient writing that is still true today. This is about our God. This is about us whenever things go awry and things bring us down, we're depressed, and everything's coming against us and we're going to be destroyed. Lord, don't you care? And you go back and you look at these verses. You think about these promises and your thinking starts changing the stupid thinking and gets to the right thinking. Look in Psalm 107, verse 23. This is us. This is us. We should be thinking, though, on what is true about God. Verse 23. Oh, does this ever say something? Look at this. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters... 
They have seen the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep way out there. For He spoke and raised up a stormy wind. (laughs) He spoke and raised up the wind, the storm, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. This could be speaking of the flood. But it can be those guys that sail out on the ships and do their business. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He brought them out of their distresses. There's just a regular people in boats, ships. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So He guided them to their desired haven. And what did people say? Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness, for His wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol Him also in the congregation of the people and praise Him at the seat of the elders. Praise to God He is in control. That's what we learn about that. They're complaining, but if they would have remembered, did you know in Mark they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And in the other Gospels they call Him Master and they also call Him Lord. And I'm I'm saying, they're probably saying all three of those. Teacher, Master, Lord, (laughs) don't you care about us? It's not that they made mistakes in recording this. Say, well, see, see, they use different words. All of these parallel accounts use this. Well, kind of like the question of did Jesus know that Lazarus was going to die and why did he wait till the fourth day because everyone knows after the third day he stinketh that means he's he's dead as dead you know I mean you're gone after that so he waits till everybody knows he's dead he says okay now I'm going to shine you know why did he wait the sisters Lazarus said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. I know what you can do. Well, couldn't you take care of him after death? I mean, that was, I mean, that's even more powerful, isn't it? Resurrecting one from the dead, well, yeah, that, Jesus does that. But after somebody dies, can he do that? Did he know the storm was coming? I think so. It's part of the curriculum of the day. You know, the curriculum for the lesson. This is a, the study. Did you know we're in the school of Jesus? That's our university. That's really where we get our education. These lessons could only be learned through these storms or these kind of trials. In Matthew 8.26, it says, They were terrified. Why are you terrified? Jesus says. Jesus does His thing. He rebukes the wind. Just speaks. Look at this. This is fascinating. He got up. Said, "Okay." Rebuked the wind. Said to the sea, "He's speaking here. <laughs> Hush. Be still." That's the same kind of language he's used with the uh, the demons that possess people. Same thing. And I mean, it happened like that. No. I find it fascinating that Mark doesn't say immediately here. Because <laughs> that's exactly what it was. I mean, maybe he didn't have the word. Maybe immediately isn't quick enough. Because it's like there's a huge storm. <laughs> oh, that was too long. Did you hear the echo after that? <laughs> it's just like that. It stops. 
I mean, it's not going to take minutes. Usually a storm, especially on the, on the lake there, the waves are going to kind of start getting slower and slower and, and you know, the rain kind of slows down the wind. And it's going to take more than minutes. And, and the water's still lapping up against the shores, you know, going in and out. That's going to take some time. No, it just went from this, like that. Have you ever experienced any storm that has stopped that quickly? But this storm, like a hurricane, just like that, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and they stopped. And the disciples still don't get it. Um, By the way, he said, Why are you afraid? The word is diloi, and it means to be in cowardly fear. <laughs> That's what he said. Why are you cowardly fearing? They had a promise. Do you remember the, what the promise was? Let's go to the other side. Yeah, but we didn't know the storm was going to come, so you got interrupted, Jesus. No, let's go to the other side. Jesus spoke. Whatever he said, they should have listened to. So that's pretty technical, isn't it? No, he just means what he says. We know what he said. You know, when when he speaks it in here, why do we start twisting things around? Yeah, but, yeah, but. He told them already, we're going to go to the other side. He promised them that. This is a test whether they believed His Word or not. You know what? It's a lesson. It's a test. What's their grade? F. He permits trials in our lives so that we can show how we trust Him. And it really is not surprising Him one way or the other. It's really showing us. Oh, I guess I don't believe Him as much as I thought I did. But he wants them to, to live their faith. You know, it's not a question whether or not we believe God. They believed God. They believed in Jesus. They really were believers. True believers. They were chosen by God, except the one, Jesus. Help my unbelief. Right? Lord, help my unbelief. Now, Wind dies down, became perfectly calm. That means placid. You ever heard of Lake Placid? No waves, nothing on it there. I mean, I mean, this is like glass. I mean, from from a storm like that in a, less than a second, uh, a nanosecond. I don't know how you can just you know stop it like that. Only God could do that. And and he just spoke, and that's what happened. And have you ever seen anybody do that? No. No. What would you do? How would you react when you would see such a fierce, fierce storm and it just stops? Do you still have no faith? Kind of a rebuke, but it was it's really kind of light. They became very much afraid. Now we're not talking about cowardly fear, as we as Jesus had said, you have a cowardly fear, but they became very much afraid. They are now more afraid. As soon as it became still, 
than they were before. Now, I told you this before, right? Because we gave you, you know how it is before a show starts, they give you a little glimpse of what's going to happen in that show. Well, here we are. We're, the, the, the commercial now is part of the story. And these guys are in fear. They're shaking. The reverence they have for this one who is before them is incredible. This is terrifying. Here's the whole in us of Christ right here. When we really realize who God really is, and not just a fairy tale, and they've been with Him, but this kind of thing is just so much. In, in, in a psalm, in 89.9, O Lord of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto you, or to your faithfulness round about you? You rule the raging of the sea when the waves thereof arise. You still them. I wonder if they thought of one of those verses immediately. Is that, is that the song? The Lord was revealing Himself to these doubting disciples. This is the Creator of the universe who spoke everything into existence. That boat that He was riding in made of wood, whatever materials. Guess what? He's the one that created that wood. He created the water in that sea. He created the winds. Matter of fact, he brought it all in. He, you know, he he just took everything. That whole lake, the the, the the Sea of Galilee, everything around it, Capernaum, that whole area, all of Israel, all the whole world, all of creation. And if he did that, he created. Cannot he control things right now? Can he not control those little bitty things that happen in our lives? Does he really care? Well, yeah, absolutely. Does he care because? I fail or not fail? No, He cares much better than we can ever care for ourselves, folks. Don't ever forget it. What a great God. He is acknowledged. He is to be acknowledged. What manner of man is this? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? What man? Who is this? They're still not getting it. That He's God right in the boat. He is God in the boat. He's the Messiah. Yeah, but He's God and a man. They still haven't got who He is. You know what tests do? They show our weakness. And when we're shown our weakness, we are humbled and the humbled are drawn to the throne. That's what he wants. So you fail? Yeah. We pass sometimes. It's all by his grace, all by his power. Matter of fact, we pass more than you would ever imagine. Because he's getting us through. Holy Spirit's praying for us. Power of the Holy Spirit. Power of the Word of God. And we are just passing one test after another. But he says, okay, now I'm going to bring in a little bit different test. Shows us our weakness. In Psalm 119.71, it is good to be afflicted. You know, when that day that we're resurrected, I think we'll fully be able to say that. When we're meeting him in the air, we're going, oh, it was good to be afflicted. And we're never going to have another affliction ever again for the rest of eternity after this. A momentary light affliction. Ups and downs and ups and downs. Is this 
a lesson that can be put into all of our lives. Lessons from our Master. He's teaching us, guys, servants are not exempt from the storms. Disciples were doing everything right. I mean, they were following Jesus, going everywhere He went, helping Him out, putting Him in the boat, whatever it took, going to the other side. The servants of Jesus, their disciples, He called them to follow Him. And He says, you don't know what I have planned for you. Number two, Christ has almighty power. Don't ever forget it. Over everything. And yet, He can work amazing miracles in our lives that are supernatural. Christ is patient. Christ is compassionate whenever He deals with His own people. And He was with them. He gave them a rebuke. But you know what? It was very mild. It was merciful. It was grace. He could have said, okay, you guys are out of here and bring that storm on again. Just throw them out and that's it. He doesn't do that. He'll never do that to His own. He will not cast them off. I will not cast them away. Right? Those who come to me, I will never cast them. Does He always deliver from the storm? No. He delivers us through the storm. If we are believers in Him, He always delivers in that storm. He could take it away from us, and He does sometimes. But if He's brought it on for our good, and it always is for our good, then what He's going to do is reveal Himself in it. And if you can get your mind and your eyes off yourself and get it on the eye, or get your eyes on the person of Christ, that's where He wants you. Because if you remember Peter, there was another storm. Different storm. Remember, Jesus wasn't with them in the boat that time. He was up on the mountain praying. <laughs> and Peter wanted to get out in the water, and he did. And he started walking on the water. What happened? Took his eyes off Jesus. Jesus comes to storm. Let's pray.